curious what you've been busy with lately um i i know you've mentioned a couple times when i've when i've contacted the that you've been pretty busy i know there's just a lot going on in the in the world right now uh so yeah i'm curious what kind of stuff you've been up to yeah there sure is um i've been i've taken a a couple of breaks from podcasting this year just because i've had other stuff going on and some of it's been uh, for my own uh, personal healing work as well um, so I'm, I'm trying to get back into a regular podcasting uh, routine and I'm also just noting what's going on in the world. And, you know, if I really feel like there's a strong message that seems to go out, I'm, I'm getting an episode out whenever I can. Uh, so there's been that. Um, I've been doing a lot of back-end work, uh, just done a little bit more of an upgrade on the FutureSense website and a lot of management stuff around the foundation that I run. So I've got a, I think I've mentioned before in podcasts, I've got a... Um, a charitable foundation that I run as the executive director. So, uh, you know, part of my time is spent managing that. Uh, and particularly at the moment with COVID and the the whole economic disruption thing, it's required a little bit more attention than usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm working on a a documentary film with Mitch Schultz, um, and uh, Mitch, of course, was the director of DMT, the Spirit Molecule, and has been involved in a, a few other great documentaries as well. Uh, Mitch and I are in the early stages of developing a, a documentary series about the Graves' model and about human history and where we are at the moment in the change process and where we're headed in the near future, particularly with the, the leap into second-tier consciousness. So uh, we've got a small team that we're working with, um, Mitch and uh, Nevi, our, our editor, are based in Austin, Texas, and we're working with uh, Martin Stebbing, who's a graphics guy based in Copenhagen. Uh, so we're on Zoom a lot talking about the the work. And um, it, like I said, it's very early stage. We're working on a sort of a, a trailer slash teaser at the moment, which is just going to give us a bit of a, a visual framework to then uh, start working on a feature-length piece, which is going to be the first uh, release. So that we're, that is planned to be like a roughly an hour long uh, looking at, a condensed version of um, human evolution from a, a Graves uh, research-based perspective and poking into the future, looking at this uh, unfolding that's going on right at the moment and then the, sh- the big shift into second tier, which I'm expecting to happen on a sort of a, a global scale within the next 15 to 20 years. So um, there's a lot of work to be done there. It's probably going to be you know another year or two before we release anything much but uh, that's part of what I'm working on. And also, um, my partner and I are working on a plant medicine project. So, um, I rediscovered my indigenous family roots within the last couple of years. 
and uh, they'd been lost since my my grandmother was uh, separated from her mother soon after birth back in 1909. So all of that time, we'd lost contact with our Indigenous arm of the family and, and we've just reconnected recently. Um, I'm just about to make my third adventure uh, up to, to visit them again up in central Queensland. And we've been guided to do some plant medicine work uh, with local plants on our on our uh, country up there, uh, Guring Guring country, it's called. So uh, my partner Julia, she's a, a quite a plant medicine expert. She lectured for eight years for the Australian Bushflower Essences Organisation, run by Ian White, and uh, she's quite accustomed with uh, the processes of making plant medicines from native flowers. Mm. And we're going to there and and hopefully uh, in the next couple of weeks we're going to uh, make our first medicine from growing growing country up there so we're looking forward to that um so uh, yeah that, that's kind of the headlines of what i'm working on and and uh, it's keeping me pretty busy at the moment that sounds cool um are those plant medicines psychedelic then or something different um, not these ones. Uh, the ones, the native ones that we're working on, are, are not psychoactive mm. uh, in a general sense. Some of them have a, you know, some mild psychoactivity, but certainly not psychedelic. No, so it's a, a more uh, conventional type of medicine. That sounds awesome. When I say conventional, it's not really conventional at all because it's <laughs> a, it's a, a, a very um, spiritually derived essence. Uh, kind of homeopathic in a homeopathic in a way um but it's uh, it's certainly not in a psychedelic category no so are those um indigenous plant medicine concoctions or is it more of her own spin on things um it's based on the work of an australian guy called ian white who came from uh, quite a lineage of plant medicine makers and it's working with australian native flowers mm-hmm uh it's it's not really as far as i know it's not come from a a very clear indigenous lineage Mm -hmm. but it's working with uh, flowers that were used as medicines for sure um by our indigenous aboriginals here in australia um what happened with this particular one that we're going to start working on is um i had a dream early in the year was soon after i came back from overseas and soon after the whole covid thing was really going down globally um and in the dream, I was up on uh, my traditional country up there, Gurren Gurren country, and my uh, ancestors came to me and took me to a place and showed me these daisies, and they told me that these are medicines. And so I woke up out of the dream and I thought, holy hell, that was very interesting. <laughs> uh, and uh, I jumped on the web to look at you know, daisy medicine and what it's used for. And one of the things it can be used for is an antiviral, which seems very appropriate at the moment. And so uh, on my second trip up to um, connect with the family up there earlier this year, uh, my partner Julia and I went walking in a place called Kanya Gorge which is in the western part of the country there, and I found the daisies that I had the dream about. Uh, and uh, we went back and looked them up, and sure enough, it's called an Australian native daisy. Uh, and so um, this time we're going back up to make some medicine from it, and, and uh, I've been working with uh, some of my relatives up there who are, are quite interested in uh, developing further natural medicines from the country up there. Um, so it'll be, it, it may well be, uh, without a doubt, you know, acknowledged as an indigenous medicine once we we've made it, and uh, and my indigenous relatives <laughs> uh, working with it. Yeah, perfect. So there's so many different 
things that I've thought about wanting to talk to you about over the past <laughs> since well the last time I talked to you. So I'm trying to like figure out what the best places to start. But um, I'm thinking that I want to mention uh, specifically. I know you mentioned the name Future Sense, but I want to let people know right away so they don't have to wait to get to the end of the podcast that you have sure. an awesome show called Future Sense, and they should definitely check it out. Um, the format has seemed to change quite a bit. It used to be a weekly show with uh, co-host Nick Jeans. Now it's sort of just you. It seems to be a bit more, um, I would say, intentional maybe. Could be a yeah, so um, as you say, it's, uh, it's futuresense.it on the web if people want to go check it out. And uh, it started back in late 2017 as a local radio show here on Bay FM in Byron Bay. And uh, my uh, colleague, Nick Jeans, uh, has been a radio announcer there for years. And so it was really him and I just having a chat about possibilities that gave birth to the show. And then it became a weekly radio show uh, for a couple of years. Uh, and as a weekly radio show, we had to fill two hours, you know, so it was a lot of chit chat and interruptions and songs and all those sorts of things like you get on the radio. Um, and for that reason, I guess it, it wasn't as intentional as it has become now. And then because of the COVID uh, shutdown, the, the radio studios closed for a while and we couldn't record. So then we started recording from uh, my place uh, in the in a similar kind of format, although it wasn't a radio show. So it became a little bit more focused. And then um, I kind of got guided to to uh, go solo with it over the last few months and, and make it fairly uh, short and concise so recently I've just been putting out sort of 15 or 20 minute or 30 minute episodes uh, as opposed to two hours um, and uh, yeah I'm, I'm probably not going to get back to weekly episodes anytime soon but I'll certainly be uh, putting episodes out uh, as often as I can manage in between all the other things that I'm doing you know yeah, well, it feels to me like it's a little more bang for your buck, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed the loose format and the conversational style. I mean, it's just fun to listen to you guys talk for me personally. But I yeah. think it seems a little bit more purposeful now and more, yeah, I guess, very relevant to what's happening right now and sort of like just helping people understand what's going on versus just sort of like, you know, being a little more conversational. So. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. That's that's good feedback, and that's certainly my intention is just to make it as useful as possible, and uh, you know, as you say, more bang for your, for your buck kind of thing. Yeah. So I know you've, uh, you know, in many of your own episodes in your show, and when you've been on on my show, you've gone over the Graves model a million times. So I don't want to take up too much time with that, but maybe you could just give like the quick elevator pitch just for anybody who maybe tunes into this for the first time just to give a little context for maybe where we sure, had sure. Uh, Incidentally, I just put up a resources page on futuresense.it and there's a, a quick guide to the layers on there and I'm going to keep adding stuff as I get time uh, to that resources page. But um, the Graves model came from a body of research that began in the early 1950s and went on for about 10 years uh, or thereabouts. And um, Claire Grace was a professor of psychology in upstate New York. He involved a bit over a thousand people, a thousand and sixty-five uh, to be exact, in his field study, and he did all sorts of research uh, in terms of understanding their worldview and their values and their behaviours. 
many different kinds of uh, data collection methods, including observation, uh, self-reporting, um, constructed social scenarios uh, where he would observe people's behaviour, those sorts of things. And then all of the data that he gathered, he gave to a group of seven peers and he said to them, without wanting to try and shape their interpretation of the data, he just said, have a look at all of this and see what patterns you can find in it. And what came out of that was uh, absolute gold, in, in my opinion, a very, very insightful model, which still uh, stands out in today's world as, as a, a unique insight into human nature. And there were three main elements to it. One is was he realised this connection between the complexity of our life conditions and the development or evolution of human consciousness. So human consciousness is quite plastic and adaptive. And depending upon the challenges that we're faced with in everyday life, uh, our consciousness will adapt to operate at certain levels of complexity. And he mapped those uh, levels of complexity out uh, as eight uh, levels, he called them at the time. I'm calling them layers these days because he did explain that they're, they're not freestanding um, versions of consciousness, they're all nested inside each other. So you've got the most simple, basic survival consciousness at the core and then over the top of that is another layer and another layer and another layer and he mapped eight of those. Um, and those eight layers, when you look back at the evolution of our species, they conform to hunter-gatherer behaviour, traditional tribal behaviour, uh, martial or warlike behaviour. Uh, agricultural era behavior, scientific industrial era behavior. And then interestingly, uh, they go three steps into what is essentially the future when you're talking about the global sort of uh, dominant consciousness at the moment. The next one after the scientific industrial being what he called relativistic, uh, which it's often called postmodern, um, but it's a very human-centric, uh, anthropocentric, you might say, uh, consciousness that's interpreting the, everything on the basis of human experience, like how does it feel to, you know, experience this and how are we connected to nature? Uh, it's very network-centric and it's what is unfolding right now around the world as the scientific industrial structures crumble. The next thing that we're seeing rushing into the space is this relativistic mindset, very humanistic mindset saying, you know, we've lost our humanity, we've got to return to, to considering the human experience and looking after people rather than just thinking about money. Uh, and we have to network together, we have to collaborate, cooperate. And these layers, uh, Graves identified, they swing between a focus on individuality and a focus on uh, community. So we've been through a very individual era with the scientific industrial layer five, and now we're moving back to the communal focus in layer six. And then beyond layer six, uh, Graves found that there was this, what he called a momentous leap between six and seven, uh, where the coping capacity of a human just went through the roof. It was, was literally a kind of quantum leap in our capacity to solve problems and make sense of reality. And so he identified a very small number of people back in the 50s and 60s who had made that leap. And so he, he gathered a, a reasonable amount of data on it. Uh, and how many people there are out in the world right now who are operating at that seventh level, which is the first step into the second tier, what he called the second tier of consciousness? I'm not sure, um, but it's uh, it's an integrative way of understanding reality where for the first time it seems the left and right hemispheres of our brain are working in unison. And the, the first six stages alternating between individuality and community, that is also a reflection of a left brain and right brain focus. 
And so we've stopped kind of flipping between those two things and all of a sudden we can bring them all together and work together with those two things with left brain and right brain concepts. And that's part of why we've got this amazing extended capacity in layer seven and beyond. And then layer eight, um, he only found six people who, who exhibited some evidence of that, didn't gather enough data to really say much more than, well, it looks like it's got a, a kind of community focus, although it's still integrated. Uh, and it's very seems very spiritual, he said. Uh, it's very much based around intuition. And what we've kind of put together, you know, since since Graves passed away is it seems like this layer eight is going to be the layer that brings the next real global stability for us. And don't have a time frame on that, but, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say sort of um, 20 plus years from now probably, thereabouts anyway. Um, so uh, that was the second key thing that came out of his work was this layered consciousness pattern, the first being the uh, adaptive relationship with complexity of our life conditions. And then the third thing that came out of his work was an understanding of how the change process in between those layers plays out, what the trajectory looks like. And it's very, very similar to Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. It's kind of like a process of... Um, feeling like something needs to change, everything falling apart, going through a chaotic um, alchemist's furnace type experience where, you know, we really feel the pressure and that pressure causes us to rewire our brains and change our body chemistry and those sorts of things. A big breakthrough on the back end of that and then a, an integration phase where we sort of greet the world with renewed energy and we're all enthusiastic again and we're seeing the world differently and we want to become stable and, and we come back to a, a place of new stability that's more capable, which represents a, a more complex layer of those layers of consciousness. So that's kind of like a, a nutshell uh, yeah. exponent. That's great. So it seems like, I mean, it's been for people who are maybe um, further along in that development, it's been pretty obvious that there are some, you know, there are have been breakdowns of this layer five uh, structures for quite some time now, but it seems like right now there's very acute um, signs of this happening um, with the election stuff in the U.S. and um, COVID and all these the polarization and uh, all of this stuff going on. Um, like where how do you feel about where we're at in that process of the transition from, you know, the layer five dominance into this layer six? What I think is that layer six uh, is in some ways not going to be dominant, uh, you know, in the way that layer five was. I mean, layer five was very individually oriented and layer six is very communally oriented. So, we shouldn't expect it to show up in the same way. Um, in some respects, it's it's already got a pretty strong hold on the world, though, because it's network-centric, and you look at the impact that networks are having on the world right now. So layer six is technology. It's certainly changed the world so much that layer five, uh, layer five thinking really can't keep up with that. It can't manage it. And if we look at all the things that are failing right now, they're pretty much all the things that were designed before the internet uh, came into existence. And the internet has made the world so much more connected and so much more complex that these old systems just can't cope with it, you know. And I'm 
I'm constantly laughing at the Australian government systems here in Australia when they try and in introduce computer systems into these old government departments that were designed before the internet existed. And it's just ridiculous, the, you know, the basic mistakes that they're making. Um, and it's it's a reason why, the, you know, our current forms of government just aren't going to survive this transition. And and I guess the US election is a, is front and centre a, a global stage show of, you know, those failures right now, right before our eyes. Uh, and in terms of time, um, what it looks to me is going to happen is uh, that we're, we're really going to just go through a almost like a rolling change process right through the layer six influence and layer six is is creating certainly a foundation for us to leap off and make this tremendous momentous leap that uh, graves mentioned into second tier at layer seven um but i think it's going to be hard to kind of to pick you know where uh layer six peaks and and finishes and, and where layer seven uh, really kicks in. Uh, I don't think it's going to be certainly not as clear cut as things like the scientific industrial revolutions, which were very clear markers that showed, okay, these are real, you know, turning points for that shift between the agricultural layer four era and layer five. Um, I think it's going to be harder to sort of spot that. Um, when you look at the length of time that each one of these layers of consciousness has been dominant on the planet, they get shorter and shorter and shorter on a kind of a, a uh, sort of logarithmic or reverse logarithmic scale, I guess. Um, and we can see, looking backwards, that the dominance of the scientific industrial era was, you know, maybe 300 years roughly. The agricultural era, era was dominant for many thousands of years. And so we should expect uh, no more than a decade or two, really, for layer six. Uh, and then we're going to be into um, second tier. And uh, I can see that there's a a tipping point coming around 2032 there are many many different sources and and techniques that are indicating 2032 as a tipping point and i suspect that will be the tipping point for second tier influence on the planet um with a form of stability coming in the late 2030s probably so right now i think um, between now and 2032 i think it's going to be a very confusing and chaotic time um, because of the nature of layer six uh, we shouldn't expect things to get too organised. Layer 6 is very focused on the process of communication, but it tends to often lose sight of concrete outcomes and gets lost in the in just wanting to keep communicating and talking about things. And it's, you know, I guess it's kind of like going into a network where it's a flat network and there's no clear uh, delineation of what's um, important except for the, the human bond, you know. And so the one of the that was the key driver of layer six is deep human connection and so layer six is not going to be distracted or attracted by hard evidence uh, of you know in an old scientific method it's going to be uh, attracted and distracted by human relationships and where things feel the best where the bonds are the deepest that's mm. where the layer six attention is going to go so um you know that's going to be very healing for the planet when you look at the damage that's been done over the last hundreds and thousands of years uh, in terms of conflict between peoples, um, layer six is bringing tremendous peace and healing to that process. Uh, and it's solving a whole bunch of, of other problems by shifting resources around, but it's not going to bring stable global structures that, you know, they're going to come after the second tier influence really kicks in. It, it seems like, um, so, how does that factor in the 
extreme polarization. I mean, some of it maybe comes from the fact that there are plenty of people still in, you know, five dominant and some in six and they're seeing the world completely different. But also it seems like even amongst people who might all be sort of more in a six dominant space are still sort of getting sucked into these more tribalized, um, you know, where they're not able to entertain somebody else's perspective or i think i've maybe heard uh even you on future sense mentioned before that maybe one of the sort of shadow aspects of layer six is uh sort of accepting everybody except for some specific group or (laughs) the people who aren't accepting or whatever that might be uh maybe you can expand on that a little bit Sure. Yeah. I often make a joke about it and say, you know, we're all really loving people here. We treat people right, you know, not like that guy's over there, <laughs> those guys <laughs> over there. Um, so there's this kind of, uh, there's this kind of contradiction, you know, in the behavior sometimes where if you get a group of people together who are all layer six, it's going to be beautiful, you know, peaceful and loving and all that kind of thing. But as soon as they bump into another layer of consciousness, it's like, ah, here they come. Um, so, Graves found in his research that in layers one through six, which he called the first tier of human consciousness, there's an inbuilt rejection factor in each value system associated with a layer. So what that means is that people will prefer to be around other people who share the same layer, the same value system as them, and they will automatically reject different values from uh, that come from other layers so even though layer six is essentially seeking inner peace it's seeking social peace and it's seeking to rebalance our connection with nature uh, which are all good things that the earth needs they are still rejecting older value systems so and the strongest rejection is usually the value system that that we've just come from so you know at a personal level when we grow through layer five and into layer six then layer five seems like old out of date bad you know Mm -hmm. and even to the point of we want to destroy it and we're seeing a lot of that talk on the planet at the moment Uh, people who want to just destroy industrialization completely and go back to to living like layer two or something like that and that's you know that's a predictable aspect of layer six so that rejection factor is really the biggest issue that we're seeing uh, and it's the source of all the conflict throughout history is this rejection of other values and not being able to understand people from different value systems uh, or layers the other thing that's coming into play is what's called a values regression. So when we go through the change process, uh, early on in the change process, we realize that, okay, the way I'm living, the values that I'm living through aren't working very well. Therefore, something needs to change. I'm not sure what it is, though. And so, of course, we can't see into the future and our future values. What we do is we look to the past and we go, okay, maybe if I go back to the way I used to live 10 years ago, maybe that'll work again because it worked back then, right? So we go on this journey backwards through the value systems and what that means at the moment is people who are sort of transitioning into layer six are going backwards to layer four uh, sometimes or or layer um, because they're coming out of five, right? Five isn't working for them. And so they'll go back to four, which is really rigid authoritarian 
uh, kind of behavior and we're seeing a lot of that at the moment you know that's that's really being highlighted that layer for authoritarian black and white there's only one way to do things and it's got to be my way or the highway you know mm-hmm. um and for some people they may even be slipping further back into layer three which is very warlike uh, and sees everything as a power struggle and wants to fight mm-hmm. in order to resolve problems so it's a mixture of those things firstly just the the inbuilt rejection factor which means that everybody who's popping in a layer six at the moment doesn't like layer five or mm-hmm. layer four or layer three or layer two or layer one there are resonances you know there are there are resonances between the communal systems so layer Layer six may resonate with layer four um, in some ways because of the the conformist nature of the communal systems. And layer six usually resonates very strongly with layer two, which is our traditional sort of indigenous tribal mm. uh, kind of ways of living. So you, you get uh, a harmonic there between the communal systems. Mm-hmm. Um which also plays out and and there's some result is what we're seeing in the world right now you know a lot of authoritarian kind of stuff getting thrown around a lot of people saying that's wrong we've got to we've got to you know destroy the scientific industrial way of living and and change the whole world to live this way you know which is the layer six way Uh, and and thankfully once we shift into second tier consciousness that rejection factor disappears so one of the things that makes layer seven so capable is that it can directly sense the frequency of value systems. And so when interacting with another person, uh, a second tier individual can read their frequency and go, okay, this person's coming from here and there's an inherent instinctive understanding of what that means and how I need to communicate with that person, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, and that just changes everything, because all of a sudden we don't want to we don't want to fight people, we don't want to destroy different cultures, we don't want to destroy different value systems, <laughs> um, and yeah, lots more becomes possible. Well, it makes sense because I see so much of the, you could call it communication, but it's not really communication uh, per se. It's a, maybe an attempt, but it's mostly arguing or fighting or accusing people of being. Everybody's accusing each other of being Nazis, basically. But, um, you know, something I've been kind of thinking about is, uh, and tell me what, how you see this, but... So I've made it a point to just, out of my own interest, like, follow people on social media that have completely opposing viewpoints and just really sort of kind of try to find the best argument for every for each side of an argument, you know, the best evidence for each side of an argument or the most prominent person on each side of some political debate or whatever it might be. And it's just very interesting to see, you know, sort of bits of truth in each side that each side would probably agree on. But I don't know, I almost get the feeling that um, because of our isolation the extreme amount of isolation that has come from the layer five, people are so desperate for feeling to desperate to feel like they're accepted into a certain tribe or a certain group that it almost seems to shut down the ability to sort of think on both sides of the aisle and that they have to sort of subscribe to a certain, uh, you know, a certain, um, to certain ideas or thoughts or whatever 
along the lines of what fits into that group so that they make sure that they're accepted and held in that group yeah. just for like a survival aspect of that feeling of belonging. Is that seem accurate? It, it does. It's very accurate. You know, what you said at the end there about that need to conform to fit in to be accepted is a key driver of, of layer six. So, um, you know, we're looking for deeper human connection and, to get that deeper human connection, we've got to be accepted into a peer group. And so uh, this caused a, a lot of confusion over the years amongst people who've studied some of Graves's work and have studied developmental psychology generally, generally. and even Ken Wilber, who's, who, I, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, has done some amazing work. Even Ken got confused with this. Um, and the confusion comes from the fact that most people don't understand that the morality and the value system of layer six is built around this need for deep connection. And so if you just look at the surface level stuff, like what people are, are talking about um, and, you know, who they're hanging out with or what topics they might be interested in, you don't really tap into that deeper driver. And because people are just chasing the connection, they can change what they're talking about. They can change what they're interested in. They can change who they're hanging out with. And it looks like they're being dishonest. It looks like they're being immoral sometimes, you know. It looks like they're not being honest to their to their morals. But actually, they, they are because they're being genuine in terms of that deep need for connection, you know, and that's mm -hmm. what they're following. So it, it can create a, when it has created a great amount of confusion around the nature of this particular layer of consciousness, um, you know, in, in the technical world of, of people who study these things. Uh, and you've just got to understand that. You've got to understand that what people are looking for is connection. And in terms of, you know, finding ways of, of convincing people or changing their opinions and those sorts of things, it's a common misconception that you can logic someone out of their value system, but you really can't. Mm -hmm. You know, the value system is rooted in subconscious frameworks which help us make sense of reality. And it, it's, it's a code. It's a very, very deep code that's not in our conscious mind. It's deep, deep down. And, you know, you can't give someone 20 reasons not to be authoritarian mm -hmm. and have them say, mm, yeah, okay, yeah, I see. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll change. Um, because it's coded in much, much deeper than that. It's just not in the rational mind. Uh, so um, the best thing we can do is to understand where other people are at and appreciate that and use work like Graves' model to help us understand, you know, what is motivating them uh, what they need, where they're at in the change process. And, and pretty much all the, the conflicts that the world has ever seen has come from people wanting to change other people to be like them, you know? Like, look at these people. They've, they've got the wrong God. They're not living the right way. They're breaking all the moral rules. They need to be like us, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can, yeah. Um, and and that's a that, that never works. If we look back at history, we can see it never works. Um, the only time when it kind of appears to work is when there's so much power applied that people have no choice but to bow down in the face of that power. But as soon as the power is removed, they go back to the way they used to be, you know, so it doesn't actually change people. Uh, and that's something that humanity's still got to learn. Um, you know, we're still yelling at each other, trying to change each other's opinions uh, and hoping that'll work when if we actually took notice of history, we'd see it done work. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I see it in the U.S. here more than ever with the political climate, with the election. You know, it's sort of like these two sides that both sort of 
expand on the same message like you're saying, which is basically like there's something wrong about the what you think and how you feel and you need to feel and think how I feel. And it seems like really ultimately it feels like it's an it's a sort of an obstacle that's an opportunity to expand our perspective to include both things. Um, and is that sort of some of the drivers for the push to an integral layer to this like integral perspective is just the intense polarization sort of requires the need for uh, this expansion to include both you know all perspectives somehow yeah i mean uh layer six one of the key characteristics of it is that it's very capable of taking different perspectives you know it's it's kind of like has what they call the wisdom of the moccasins. It can put put itself in someone else's shoes and really start to appreciate what it must be like to be that person. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, it still has that inbuilt rejection factor of other people's values, though. Uh, so it can't fully appreciate what it's like to be in another value system. Although it might be able to appreciate what it's like to be in a person in a particular scenario in life mm-hmm. you know, and and have compassion for that. Um, but the what happens with this transition into second tier is that we reach the end of the dominance of the rational mind. So you can break down those layers into zones, the first one being the pre-rational zone, mm-hmm. which is layers one, two, and three, so basic hunter-gatherer type stuff, um, traditional tribal and martial or warlike behavior is generally dominated by deep urges and instincts and strong emotions, okay? And so when you're dealing with people who are operating through those layers, rational arguments generally don't work very well because that's not what's driving them. You know, they'll listen and they'll understand, but at the end of the day, their deep code is saying, follow this urge, follow that instinct, Mm -hmm. you know, follow follow that emotion. Uh, And that's what they're doing. And then layers uh, four, five, and six, which is your agricultural era, authoritarian, scientific, industrial, highly rational, materialistic, and then this emerging layer six, um, humanistic, network-centric. They're all still dominated by the rational mind. Um, So... So they're looking, you know, to use that rationality to to change other people, as as you've been saying. Layer six also is in a very tricky place because it's just about to reach the end of the usefulness of the rational mind. And in order to prepare the being to make that transition, what it needs to do is it needs to go back and revisit all the pre-rational stuff as well, just make make sure everything's in order, you know, that, that everything's been finalized as much as possible, everything's been healed, all the trauma's been dealt with so that we've got a solid platform to make this huge leap from into second tier. And so poor old layer six is kind of like still dominated by the rational mind. It's trying to quieten that mind down. And, you know, there's plenty, you know, there's a million like uh, spiritual courses and meditation classes trying to teach you to how to quieten the, the mind. Um, so it's trying to cope with that. It's also trying to cope with all these emotions coming up and it tends to get you know, somewhat easily overloaded by all of this data coming in from all of these both pre-rational and rational uh, senses in the body. Uh, And sometimes it can get quite lost, you know, with that overload of inputs and just not know what to do. And so that's where it just goes back to the, the, you know, I need to be around people that that I'm bonded with and who make me feel safe and that understand me. Uh, And hence that key driver. But what happens as we get closer to the second tier transition is that the 
the usefulness of the rational mind for solving our problems starts to break down and does break down entirely. And so um, we go through that change process, which sometimes, you know, is called the dark night of the soul, where everything falls apart, everything that we've ever used to solve our problems doesn't seem to work anymore. We have to completely give up, fall apart, crash, uh, burn, and then somehow climb out of the wreckage. Um, and and in that wreckage, you know, in the, the heat of all that change is when our neural networks get rewired, our body chemistry balance changes, um, you know, new hormones come into play, those sorts of things. Uh, and what's on the other side of that is this direct knowing. It's this what you might call a kind of deep intuition sense uh, where stuff just comes to us and we can't really explain rationally where it comes from, but we just know what's what's right. Uh, and, um, you know, that's that's the kind of prize on the other side of the hill mm. that, that we're all heading towards at the moment. Um, and it, it's, it's useless to try and solve the world's problems with the rational mind at, at right now. I mean, I, I guess useless is probably a bit of a harsh word. It's not useless. It's helpful with problems that are of a certain level of complexity that allows them to be, to be um, solved with rationality. Yep. But as we've been talking about, there are a whole bunch of problems, including, you know, getting on with other people where that rationality just doesn't cut it, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, so we need to we need to understand our limitations. Those of us who have got the sort of um, the broader outlook at the moment and the understanding of what's going on in the terrain that we're traversing need to understand that okay, some of these things aren't going to get solved right now, and it's actually useless putting our rational minded effort into trying to solve that because you know that's that's good. Some people need to be doing that right now, but uh, for those of us who can see further into the future, there are more important things that we need to focus on. And one of those, of course, is helping to support the shift of consciousness. I mean, ultimately, that's the biggest thing that we can do is to uh, support people who are ready to make the shift to be, to be moving from first tier into second tier because that's where all the solutions of our, mm. our most serious issues, serious problems are going to come from. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've found for myself over the past however long it's been, especially the past year or so, um, that my, you know, I'm, I'm, I resonate with some of the layer seven things you're talking about, but I feel like I'm still pretty dominated by my rational mind. But I recognize that in certain areas, it just is obvious that it requires some, something more, you know, a move beyond that, because you, a perfect example is the realm of I, and I think we find this in a lot of different areas, but the realm of diet, for example, uh, you know, when I was real strong into a layer five, I was trying to find the perfect diet and all the evidence and the science behind it and all of these things. And the, the further I've gone on the track of trying to find a diet that is really right for me, um, the more you find evidence uh, opposing evidence for any single type of food or diet. Uh, eggs are great for you. Oh no, eggs are terrible for you. This is great for you. This is terrible for you. And there just starts to push you to find some other source of, you know, wisdom within you to guide you as to what you should eat, you know, because uh, these sort of empirically der derived forms of information just seem to be... Um, more and more complex and sort of more and more, uh, 
you know, harder to really pin down as to what's true. I just wanted to pop in and thank you for listening and give you a couple ways you can help support Awake, Aware, Alive. Head over to jacobgossel.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-G-O-S-S-E-L.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page and click the Patreon button. There you can become a patron of Awake Aware Alive for as little as one buck a month, and you'll get extra goodies. There's also a PayPal and Venmo button where you could leave a one-time donation. Last way to support the show is by leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, preferably five stars, and a little blurb about what you think about the show. Lastly, if you don't want to do any of that, please just uh, listen, share it with a friend, share it with a family member, somebody who you think might uh, benefit from this information or think it's interesting. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Yeah, that's a great example, you know, and if you, if you look at that example through the different layers, I mean, layer four, the authoritarian always looks to a higher authority for a list of rules on how to live life, okay? So from layer four, it would be, okay, um, the person, the authority that I respect, you know, and it could be a God that I worship, says in the scriptures, here are the things that I should eat. So there's no choice. There's only one right way to do it in layer four. And then layer five, of course, looks for the best. It discards that higher authority and says, no, actually, I can figure it out myself and I can make it better. You know, I can make it the absolute best and be most successful. And so that's where you get all these, you know, absolute best diet that you really need to be uh, mm-hmm. beyond uh, kind of lists coming from. And then in layer six, because the focus, it shifts away from from my personal success, how can I be the best, to uh, that need for deep human bonding. It's like, okay, uh, here's my network of people that I really trust who I'm bonded with. You know, what do they all say about what they're eating at the moment? And, you know, they'll sit in a circle and say, you know, what are you eating? What are you eating? And everybody reports what they're eating. And then the solution comes from that networked uh, process, right? Mm. But then when we go into second tier uh we part of part of what we're doing in layer six as preparation for second tier is is connecting with our body Mm. um you know which we've pushed to all sorts of limits in layer five but not really understood damage that we're doing in the process you know like with the planet (laughs) Mm. um and so in layer six we're reconnecting with nature we're also reconnecting with our body and we're starting to listen to our body and we're we're working with that process of like you know casting out through our network you know what do we need to be doing right now and how are you doing it uh and learning from that but then eventually as we start to transition towards second tier we're we're connecting with our body to the point where our body's actually speaking to us and we're getting direct knowing coming from our body you know uh and we know that okay I can't eat that because when I eat that, I can feel my liver complaining, you know, or, or something like that, you know. It's, it's, so that's the that's the kind of space that you're you sound like you're pushing into at the moment is getting those direct messages and feeling that. Why don't I feel um, so good this morning? Kind of feeling, and then you think about okay, oh, maybe it's because I ate or drank that last night. Oh yeah, and and you know you start to put all those. Um, bits of information together and you'll eventually in second tier get to the point where you've got immediate communication from your body that something's right or it's not right Mm -hmm. uh, which is then guiding your diet and behavior yeah sounds like something to look forward to (laughs) because you know that it's just i think um it just feels like i can sense that i can I can feel bits of what I feel like you describe in the integral sort of the layer seven um, 
the layer seven sort of perception and worldview and, and coping capacity. Um, but I still feel very much like there's a lot of processing of different things going on and things yet to be healed. And, um, and so it's like almost you can see a certain light at the end of a tunnel, but you know that there is just certain territory that you have to traverse no matter what. You can't just skip to this certain yeah. spot. Yeah, absolutely. It's a process. And it's just, it's also, you know, one that requires patience. It's just a matter of understanding. It. And when, when you've got a kind of a structure like Graves's model to, to inform you, then you can say, you can start to make deductions like you just have that, okay. I can see that I'm going through this process. I haven't got all the answers yet, but I kind of understand, you know, where I'm headed and I kind of understand what might be next for me. Mm. And that's probably about as, as uh, good as it gets right at the moment. The other interesting thing about second tier is that um, it's not locked into operating from just one value system, but it's it's kind of like a shapeshifter. And if there's a problem that can be solved by layer six processes, then you'll use that, you know, or if there's a problem that can be solved by layer one or layer two, you'll use that. So it's, it's, you're matching the complexity of the issue with the complexity of the solution and just, you know, dynamically moving through the layers as you need to. So I'm curious to get into something that I've been thinking about for a while. And I'm, I really wanted to bring this up to you to kind of see what you think of it. And I don't know how much of this stuff uh, you'll be aware of or how well I'll be able to articulate this um, kind of question, but I have been pretty aware and exploring a lot of different information surrounding um, some of the inconsistencies and manipulative aspects of this whole COVID-19 scenario. And I know you've spoke a little bit about you know, it seems that there's like an economic reset kind of happening. And I've been diving into a lot of information about the the great reset and these ideas about, you know, people putting out these books and documents about these plans that they have for certain, you know, technological uh, things and changes that people want to make to the the you know the way we live in various different ways to the economy to the energy systems to the food system to biometric yeah. ids and all of the, these things and um there's certainly i think for a lot of people a certain paranoia about um global like a, a deep state and a global domination and a new world order and all of these things and understandably so it can be a, a scary thing and it um, but I also recognize, like for me personally, I, I feel like when I get a bird's eye view on these sort of things, I feel like um, ultimately it's all sort of a part of the tension that pushes us to evolve, you know, to these these next layers of, of sort of coping capacity. But what I'm curious about is, um, you know, for one, how much of this stuff you kind of entertain or get into or, or research just to kind of be informed as to what's going on. I know like Victoria in Australia has had some pretty intense lockdown measures and different things that seem to be way out of proportion for what's going on as far as uh, the death tolls or anything from COVID-19. Um, and I've been sort of racking my brain as far as, you know, some of these plans and things that seem to be laid out as far as certain groups that want to 
sort of take control of certain things and have plans. I guess I, I guess what I'm kind of struggling with is where do you see some of these, uh, you know, the thing, a thing like the great, the great reset or the, the build back better or the agenda 2030, um, the UN stuff, what layer of consciousness are these things coming from? They're a combination of layers. Um, and the reason I don't talk about this stuff much is because many, many years ago when I was consulting as a, a change management consultant in the corporate sector, I had a, a big uh, sort of flash of light happen and I got this message saying, stop trying to fix the old things. They're broke and mm-hmm. they're going to actually shift your attention to supporting what's new you know, and what's growing and what's coming next. And so that's why I don't spend a lot of time talking about these structures that are uh, desperately trying to hang on to power and, you know, doing the most outrageous things to to, uh, to try and make that happen, but inevitably destined to fail in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to organizations um, and groups, it's true that you'll always find a mixture of value systems in these groups because people join them for different reasons and people perceive and are attracted to them for reasons associated with their own value system, you know. So um, a good example is the the United Nations just put out a, a video recently, I think it was in September, which is their their latest agenda video. And it's a real mixed bag in terms of values. I mean, it's, it's full of a lot of very appropriate and important information about the damage that we're doing to the earth and how we need to change our behaviour. But that's interspersed with absolutely authoritarian statements like this must change, you must support us and all this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, So it's a real mixed bag in terms of value systems and there's there's clearly a lot of layer four authoritarian stuff coming through there, which is obviously reflecting people who are inside the organisation, you know, and shaping it from that particular value system. There's a lot of really good stuff that's coming from more complex value systems as well. That's very appropriate. And you've got to appreciate that when you look at all of these different pushes, particularly the globalist stuff, um, is understand that, okay, these organizations are going to have a mixture of people in them. Those people are going to come from a mixture of different value systems and they're going to be shaping you know, the overall organization in terms of their, their ability to influence it from, from those different value systems. Um, what's true is that as a species, we're moving from a, uh, an era of individuality to an era of era of community, and that means that it's very likely that we're going to want to try and have cohesion and collaboration at a global level. Okay, so that's a fundamental driver of of humanity right now is to want that. And depending on which value system that you are dominated by, you're going to try and achieve that in different ways. You know, if you were coming from layer three, then you might take to the streets with a a machete uh, and, you know, change it by violence. Um, If you're coming from layer four, then you'd be looking for an authoritarian solution where you or the organization you belong to can have absolute strict, rigid control over what everybody on the planet does. Uh, If you're coming from layer five, then you'd probably be looking to do it in a way that's going to make you a lot of money and make you very successful. Um, And, you know, maybe like, for example, coming out with a vaccine that's going to make you billions and billions of dollars. Um, 
and not actually appreciating the human impact in the process. Uh, and layer six, you know, uh, would be looking to do it by making friends with everybody and uh, talking a lot about peace and a lot about what needs to be rebalanced on the planet. And, and you can see all of that when you look around at the moment. Um, what is going to be most effective in solving the problems that we face as a species on this planet right now is for that globalist push to be shaped by the most complex layer of consciousness that we're capable of rolling out. Mm -hmm. And and right now, when you look around the world, you can see evidence of, you know, the most complex um, value system that we're capable of rolling out right now, which can dominate the world in some way, has been Layer 5. And, and Layer 5 has done that through the threat of nuclear war and by, you know, selectively invading uh, countries for strategic advantage and killing a bunch of people. Um, layer six um, is, of course, pushing all that away and saying, you know, we, we, we don't want these wars anymore. We really have to collaborate. Um, and what we're seeing come through at the moment is a lot of regressive messages through as, as people slip from, like, you know, entering layer six, they're slipping backwards to layer four and the authoritarian kind of stuff comes out mm. and, and you get statements like, you know, we really need to stop cutting down the trees and we really need to stop polluting the atmosphere. And if you don't do it right now, you know, it's going to be big trouble. So do what you're told. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get a real mixed message like that. Uh, and then you've got, you know, from the 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 uh, what's left over from the scientific industrial era, era, you've got a whole lot of people with a whole lot of money who have become very influential because of that. Who, who come from a mixture of different value systems again, um, although, you know, predominantly layer five because uh, often that's what's allowed them to be successful. Uh, and, uh, and they're looking to profit from what's going on at the moment. You know, they're looking to profit from the problems that the world has. Uh, and, uh, and they're also playing out their own fears. I mean, you've got to remember too that in layer, sorry, in all of the first tier layers, so one through six, fear is a big driver as well. Uh, and it's only when we go into second tier that fear drops away. So, you know, you've got very rich people who are very afraid of overpopulation, you know, because right. it's going to get in the way of, of their life and what they want to do to be successful. Um, and, you know, fear of, of different political systems like communism or socialism and those sorts of things. Um, so it's, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's very complex. Yep. You've got to appreciate there are multiple value systems involved here, not just one value system. You've got to appreciate that one of the fundamental drivers for our whole species is to get together at a global level and kind of try and make things work. And everybody's going to be coming at that from the angle of their dominant value system, which means that you're going to get, you know, pure power plays. You're going to get authoritarian attempts to do it. You're going to get uh, profit-making attempts to do it. And we're seeing all that being rolled out at the moment. Um one of my old spiral dynamics teachers, Don Beck, who was one of the authors of the of the book, you know, he used to say that during this time towards the end of the first tier, we're going to see every uh, character from history come back and walk the streets, you know, and that was his way of saying that all these value systems are going to flare up at the last mm. minute because they're all trying to kind of save their their you know their egos and existence, I guess, yeah. So it's a very interesting time. Um, one thing's for sure, though, is that if if you spend too much time focusing on these issues, yep. 
uh, you're kind of missing the point. The point is to actually look ahead, to look at what's emerging as, as you know, new evidence of more complex and more peaceful and more capable ways of living as human beings on this planet. They're the things to focus on right now. And if you go down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, you're going to waste a whole lot of your time and probably miss the boat, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it feels like... You know, I've definitely found certain uh, value in informing myself about some of the behind-the-scenes things of, of what's going on and, and various, uh, you know, the way sort of the world works or has worked up until this point in certain ways. But for me, it is a little bit like I recognize that it's almost like a junk food habit or something. Like, there yeah. are plenty of times where I... Um, am focused on things that are exciting to me and seem like um, the future, like regenerative agriculture or various different things. But then there's yeah. this sneaking kind of uh, craving for this junk food of like, oh, what's going on with this drama? And I felt like it probably so, has something yeah. to do with, uh, you know, my own part of my own healing. You know, uh, I, I definitely feel like... Um, that's part of the reason why I, I can still be attracted to some of the, to sort of trying to look into the darkness is just probably some of my own shadow work that needs to be done. I, I think you're absolutely right there. And you can use those things as tools for your own developmental process, you know, by noticing, okay, what is it that I'm actually getting drawn to at the moment? And what is it about me that's resonating with that, you know, and then go inside side and say, okay, there's actually part of me that's a little authoritarian or there's part of me that's a bit power hungry, you know, mm -hmm. that I need to, to give some attention and do some healing around. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, everything can be useful in its own way. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting how you described, you know, how you see all that stuff, because that's part of the thing that I think I, I, you know, brought me to that question is, you know, when I would take in some of this information about, let's say, you know, like a globalist agenda type thing, I would see language in it that did seem like, okay, yeah, I see there is something here that does seem like there is, could potentially be a, pop, a good intention or something. But then yeah. mixed into it, there's some weird forms of like complete control and surveillance and domination. And it's sort of like I've recognized in myself, like during my time of transition from one layer to another, that my mind wants to have complete control and domination through that process because it feels so disconnected from any sort of structure or path that it wants to just somehow lock down and have a complete control. But ultimately it can't because it's an uncontrollable territory. You know, it's this territory of transition where there is no structure. Um, and so that, I guess, yeah. is one way I sort of related it on like a microcosm macrocosm sort of level yeah yeah that's good and i think one of the things that is most difficult for many people at the moment is uh the attempts by uh organizations and people who are dominated by layer five scientific industrial kind of personal success uh thinking and behavior because it can be so exploitative you know the the and it every value system is amazing and useful in the right context so I don't mean this is a criticism of layer five, but I just want to point out that layer five will do whatever it takes in order to reach its goals. And it's generally the communal value systems that create the moral structures 
that we live by. So the stability of the communal uh, value systems brings us these, you know, moral guidelines. And then when we bust out into the individual value systems, usually we, we're escaping the limitations of that, of those structures and we want to escape them. We want to do our own thing. So with the individual oriented value systems, they're usually wanting to break the rules, you know, break the, the moral codes and see what they can do on their own. You know, what if I do it my way? What if I find my own truths? Mm. Uh, that's just a fundamental aspect of the individual oriented value systems. And so layer five has been very much like that. And right to its death, layer five will be trying to profit from whatever's going on around it, you know. So even when it sees all of the structures that it's sort of built its life around falling apart, it'll be still be still be going, okay, you know, the world's falling apart because of this pandemic and uh, the economy is going to hell, but maybe if I come up with a vaccine that can make me a lot of money, you know, I can get really rich and powerful mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in the process. And so yeah, that's exactly what we're seeing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the every, most people probably will be familiar with the, the concept of, you know, whitewashing or greenwashing, you know, as it's often called these days, is dressing something up to look like something else in order to, to benefit from it. And so uh, we know that layer five is very, very good at that. It's very, very good at making something look like one thing, but then on the inside, it's different, you know, and this is where the, the whole idea of the corporate image came from. It's to look good on the outside and then doesn't so much matter what's going on on the inside of the corporation. Um, and so we should expect anyone who's being driven by layer five at the moment to be trying to dress up what they're doing in such a way that it will appeal to most people. And if most people are all of a sudden starting to think differently about the planet and about nature uh, and about themselves, then maybe we should make it look like that because then we'll get their money as well. Mm-hmm. And this is this is why you're seeing things with these strange mixed messages, you know. And and maybe the message actually sounds really good, but you just get this feeling that something's not right about yeah. what the organization's doing. And, and, you know, that's quite possibly what's going on. So another area that's intriguing to me that I think you have done a fair bit of research into is the climate change uh, area. And it seems like, is there something similar going on there where there's the climate change, like, the strong desire to, uh, you know, fix the climate change thing seems to be a very strong layer six motivation. Am I right? And but is there a sort of a shadow aspect of four that comes into it where it's like we need to get off fossil fuels right now and we need to do the green energy and we need to do it my our way and it doesn't yeah. care what you, I don't care what you think about it. Um, and also even the sort of almost religious aspect of not being able to question the mainstream narrative around it and really have a complete discussion about the cycles of the solar minimum and maximums and all of these other aspects that play into it. Yeah, it's a big story and, and one that I've been thinking about doing another episode or two on in the near future. Um, it's funny you should talk about strong desires because the the guy who actually was the first head of the United Nations Environment Program, his name was Strong, Maurice Strong. <laughs> and uh, when you start to look at the history of how all that unfolded and the whole global warming movement um, and, and the people behind it, it, it just it starts to show up these differences in value systems and the mixed bag of value systems, you know, with one message being put out, but then you look at the behavior of the people behind the message and it doesn't fit with what they're saying. And certainly Maurice Strong was an example of that. 
um, just very quickly, so he was the first uh, head of the UNEP, as I said, and um, led the first big conference that they had, I think, in South America uh, around the, the global warming issue and pollution and stuff. And he'd made his money out of um, cattle farming and fossil fuel-based activities and was still doing that at the time. Okay, so straight away from a values perspective, you've got to say, okay, that doesn't seem right. You know, this guy's leading this organisation that's supposedly pushing for a different world, but he's made his money and continues to make his money through all the things that he's saying have to change, right? Mm. And he was saying that the industrialised countries have to be disempowered. Um, and he's even on record uh, on, in a video, which is still on YouTube, saying that people should have licences before they're allowed to breed. Um, so that they, they give you sights into who he was as a person. He got caught out taking a million-dollar bribe uh, in the Middle East during the um, food for oil uh, deals that were going on with Iraq years back. And as a result of being caught out taking that check, uh, he fled. He left his job at the UN and he fled to China and lived out the rest of his life in China. He's passed away now. But he was he had very strong connections, uh, I understand, to the um, Chinese Communist Party. Um, and uh, and clearly he had some pretty serious personal moral issues, you know, which which led him to leave the job and, and flee so that he didn't get prosecuted uh, for taking bribes when he was working for the United Nations. So you know, that's just one very, very small example which tells me that, okay, this is probably not exactly as it looks, when, you know, this whole, whole process. And then as I've researched the climate issue more and more and with my understanding of how disciplines change as we move through these ages dominated by different value systems. I can see that throughout the scientific industrial era, all of our scientific disciplines went very, very deep in very, very narrow areas of knowledge. And of course, that deepened our knowledge in a whole bunch of different areas. But what was lost in the process was an understanding of how these areas of knowledge are connected with each other. And so we've ended up with a climate science which is rigidly um, linked to what goes on on planet Earth and knows absolutely nothing about any climate influences, you know, um, which which seem to be coming from off the planet except for the radiation of the sun. And so our, our sort of mainstream climate science has completely missed uh, the drivers, the key drivers of our climate on the planet, which are uh, interstellar radiation and the behaviour of our local sun. Um, and that that has put us into a very tricky situation because sometime within the next 10 years, uh, this is going to come out and people are going to realise that they've been sold a, you know, an incorrect story and whether that was an intentional thing um, and, and quite possibly it was by some people or whether it was just a factor of, you know, the evolution of value systems and our understanding changing in a natural way and I, I, I'd suggest it's a combination of both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what it's going to do in, you know, probably I'd say with some time between now and 2032, uh, in fact, probably before then, probably between now and about 2028, there's going to be a sudden mass realisation that the science was wrong and this story that we've been sold about, uh, you know, the global warming trend and, and uh, all the science which is in and the science that completes so you don't need to look at it anymore and, and you know, th- there's no argument so you'd stop arguing. 
people are going to realize that holy you know th that that actually was wrong and now we're moving into a, a period of uh, coal the mini ice age as part of the grand solar minimum that's going on uh, and i've spoken about this in detail before on on past uh, future sense pods future sense podcasts and i'll i'll do some more in the future um so um you know and, that, and that's one example of a whole bunch of things uh on the planet at the moment which aren't what they seem mm. and this comes back to um in in many respects the nature of layer five and its capacity to bend the rules break the moral codes and do whatever it takes in order to achieve a goal okay um, and then justify all of those things it's done by saying, well, look at the outcome. You know, the outcome justified the means. Um, and you can apply this to any industry you want to look at, you know, whether it be war fighting or the pharmaceutical industry or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen the same behavior over and over again where, whereby the original focus of a system, which was, you know, to serve humanity in some way, has been bent around so that it's now... Uh, built around an intent of success for an individual or a small number of individuals and so we've we've been left with a whole bunch of systems you know including our our climate advisory system our pharmaceutical system you know you name it our government systems which no longer actually do what they were originally designed to do um our pharmaceutical system doesn't do what it was originally designed to do it, it just makes people richer and it ke actually keeps people sick by not curing them but just keeping them well enough to keep buying the pills you know? yeah uh, yeah that's another and, and, and yeah that, that's another story but what yeah. i'm trying to say is that pinning all of those stories is this this one theme of exploitation um and it's you know nothing is good or bad uh, unless you actually filter it through one of the value systems and what's good or bad looks different to each value system. So um, for the people that have been doing this, it's been fine. It's been quite acceptable to their their coding and it's been part of the human journey from, you know, the first emergence of humanity and life as hunter-gatherers to where we are today and on into the future. We've had to, to traverse that terrain. Uh, and with any aspect of, of the situation you want to look at, you'll find that there are good points as well as what seem to be bad points, you know, around yeah. them also. So it just comes back to human nature. And um, and the, so there's good reasons why you and many other people aren't feeling quite right about the COVID situation. They're not feeling quite right about climate change. Yeah. They're not feeling quite right about government systems and elections for good reasons. Uh, and this is why our values are changing right now because these things were useful for a time. They reach their peak and then once they roll off the peak, they start to actually do more damage than good. And we're right at the end of that cycle for the scientific industrial era where it's doing so much damage now that people are saying, this has got to change. Yeah. And that's what's driving the, the evolution of our values. Are you familiar with uh, Dr. Zach Bush? I am actually I you know I hadn't taken a lot of notice of him until just within the last week actually and uh, a friend of mine one of my spirodynamics teachers uh, Christopher Cook from the UK turned me on to him and said just take a look at this video so I went and watched this video and uh, there's some evidence of second tier intelligence there so yeah I'm very excited about Zach Bush right yeah, now. yeah me too he's I've been sort of obsessed with him for since you know the summer here I stumbled upon one of his uh, interviews, I think in June, and ever since I've just been listening to every interview with him I can find, and 
it really seems like, you know, there is this paradigm shift coming in how we even understand, uh, you know, viruses as a form of and, and germ theory versus terrain theory and this the idea of illnesses and infections and all of these things and uh, viruses as maybe a form of genetic upgrade and, yeah, a, and a, an environmental signaling mess you know a sort of a messaging system versus some sort of straight up pathogenic infectious thing yeah it's it's an absolute uh, shift of worldview. You know, he's speaking very, very solidly from layer six, uh, I can see, and he's very agile, so he'll shift around and talk from a scientific scientific perspective as well. And um, I, it looks to me also that he's poking into second tier at times and, you know, talking from, from layer seven. It's always hard to know these things unless you really sort of meet and get to have a decent conversation with a person, but that's how it looks to me, um, that he's, he's probably at least in transition from six to seven. And I think he's got a, a, a massive amount of useful information to pass on and some really, really useful different perspectives uh, for people to take notice of. And one of them, as you just said, is this idea that, um, you know, the, the virus is bad, you've got to kill it, uh, that we're being sold at the moment. Well, in fact, it's not even alive, so you can't kill it. <laughs> um, but if we look at human history, then some of the most useful things that have ever happened to our species have come through that. Uh, DNA transfer via a virome, a virus, mm -hmm. uh, and Zach Bush, you know, as, as I'm sure you've heard, has um, been telling the story of things like the evolution of placentas, which allowed, you know, mammals to come into being, came from a virus which transferred some genetic material uh, and made that possible. Uh, and there are many, many other examples that he gives in his videos. You know, I highly recommend his work at the moment. Uh, he, he's done a great presentation called The Virome, which I've been looking at recently. Um, really, really useful information, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating stuff. And it, it, it's, you know, and, and it's exciting, but as exciting as it is, it's also, um, you know, it's one of those things where you wonder how long is it going to take before this is, you know, accepted or common knowledge or integrated into these systems because, yeah. um, you know, it, it can be so hard to encounter all these situations, whether it's about masks or vaccines or fear around illnesses and death and, you know, have some sort of graceful approach, like having a certain perspective that's so far separated from the mainstream paradigm and, you know, how to sort of like uh, embody that and communicate it while still, while not totally um you know rejecting people for for what they still believe do you get what i'm trying to say i know that sounded kind of i do absolutely yeah you know yeah it's it's always a challenge during these times of transition between value systems on the planet you know and if we look back to the agricultural transition to the scientific industrial you know people were uh, jailed and sort of burnt at the stake for saying certain things that came from the new worldview because they didn't fit the old worldview yeah. and I guess the, the modern equivalent of that is uh, things like Julian Assange being uh, imprisoned without uh, any legal due legal process, um, people getting chucked off YouTube and banned from you know various internet sites and those sorts of things. So these are the sort of modern day equivalents of that. And it makes it difficult when you're a pathfinder of change. And it, it's a real balancing act to 
be speaking publicly, you know, providing useful information about different perspectives and new ways of doing things uh, and not actually being branded as a, a heretic and, you know, uh, silenced by by the old system. So um, I think Zach Bush is doing a, a really good job at that at the moment. Uh, and for for everybody who's listening, you know, um, probably most, if not all, of the listeners to this kind of thing are, are change makers in the world. Uh, it really does pay to, to think about that balance and getting the balance right. And uh, that is also one reason why, um, you know, I don't go down these conspiracy theory uh, holes too much in my podcast. I mean, apart from the fact that it, it, it really just spreads fear anyway, which is not useful. Yeah. Um, also, you know, run the risk of being shut down and all the good things that you have to say, you know, people miss out on those as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of what you just said, I mean, throughout history, there is evidence that there have been extreme measures taken um, against sort of these... Um, you know, people that are coming out with information or displaying traits of the 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 next paradigm, um, and there obviously is various efforts to silence things and surveil people and potentially mandate certain things or whatever. So, and obviously these transitions between value systems are very chaotic, and there is a lot of disruption and. So obviously nobody knows exactly what's going to happen, but when you contemplate this transitionary period, I mean, what types of things is it reasonable to prepare for? You know, where is that line between being fearful and just simply trying to look at things for what they are and consider actual potential outcomes and consequences as far as whether it's authoritarian measures or uh censorship and surveillance or various different things or just simply uh, natural disasters or um, the electric grid going down you know where's the line between like conspiracy theorist and prepper and just sort of common sense like how bad can we imagine that things might get I guess yeah Um, really good question Uh, I guess my first response to that would be to uh, find your path you know everybody has a path uh, that that is uh laid down for them to some extent in terms of you know and and you might even say by by their own choice before incarnating on this planet uh, and you know by tuning into what's right for us individually we'll be taken to the places we need to be and we'll be brought the information we need to have in order to fulfill you know the things that we've come here to fulfill and I think that that first and foremost is really the best um, kind of compass or direction finding advice that I can give um, if you start to become fearful and think you know do I need to buy a generator or you know a semi-automatic rifle and this kind of stuff then you, you go down that rabbit hole of fear and you completely lose your connection to your your true self and your true path yeah. and that's really the worst thing you can do you know um to to um to end up like living in a bunker uh somewhere um and wasting your life on this beautiful planet so i think first and foremost you know be in the world be where you feel to be and do what you feel is is right for you first and foremost um in terms of how bad things can get and and uh how to approach that i think um the way these sorts of 
major transitions usually pan out is you get small pockets of the future appearing and that's you know one of the things i say about the future sense podcast is the future's already here you know that that famous quote from william gibson i think was the future is already here it's just not evenly distributed so if you look around and you know what to look for you'll find the future you know you'll find future ways of living you'll find future ways of of uh, relating to other human beings and they're all out there right now so um, in the process of finding your own path you know seek out the people that you resonate with and you'll find pockets. I mean, I, I'm living in you know, Byron Shire in northern New South Wales in Australia where, you know, this this whole shire really is a pocket of people who decades ago realised that there were different ways to live and they came here to try and practise that. And so now we've got a, you know, a reasonably sustainable pocket of uh, largely layer six kind of uh, folks and a good, you know, a sprinkling of, of second tier uh, who are living very differently than most people live on the planet and doing it quite successfully. You know, there are local organic food growers and there are markets where you can go buy that stuff uh, without the sort of um, huge structures of middlemen in, in the supply chains and those sorts of things. And it, when I look at what I know about what's probably coming over the next two decades, you know, I think the best thing you can do is to find, find your people uh, and, you know, get as sustainable as you can be um so, you know sometime if i had to put a time frame on it i'd say that uh probably what is it now 2020 i think within the next six to eight years you ought to look at finding where you need to be finding folks that you resonate with and um you know diving into your own personal path and doing whatever it is that you feel you're here to do whether you're a, a healer or a, a dentist or whatever you know do, do your thing and do it well and do it surrounded by people that you resonate with in a place that you you feel like you belong um i i have seen uh predictions from sources i regard as reliable of um the implications of the the coming climate change uh, which um, at this stage is still giving us spikes between hot and cold uh, conditions, but eventually will settle down. And certainly um, some astrophysicists that I, I trust are saying by 2028, it's going to be really, really clear that, okay, we're entering into a cooling phase here. If we look back to previous cooling phases like um, the Maunder minimum and those sorts of things, not the whole planet went freezing cold all at once. There were still there were some places that actually got hot during those periods mm. and stayed warmer. Um, but overall, you know, the northern hemisphere in particular was was fairly heavily cooled, and you know, at some point the the um, Thames froze over for a while and that kind of thing. And and that's going to interrupt food production because a lot of the places where we're growing our food at the moment are in climates that are working okay, but those climates are changing. So uh, we've already got some food shortages uh, on the planet that's going to get worse. And the best thing we can do is to find a community where we can become locally sustainable as much as possible. And that means, you know, food growing and energy production in particular, I think. Uh, and communities will grow naturally and you'll get a you know a mix of people attracted to a community who bring all the different skills like you know health and well-being medical uh, and those sorts of things that a community needs so a lot of that stuff just happens naturally but i think the big things that we should be looking at are uh, localized energy production and also um, food supplies that have fairly short uh, supply chains you know where that ideally is grown locally organically or it doesn't have to travel too far mm -hmm. um because once once the climate 
change does start getting more severe, then it's going to be more difficult to grow food. At times, it will be more difficult to travel. Um, and uh, the the disruption to large concentrations of people who are still living very much according to the old value systems, um, you know, I think they're going to be significant. So you, you don't want to be um, in a place where, you know, everything's – people haven't been preparing, they haven't been understanding what's going on, and they're getting caught out. Um yeah. Right. And you're dependent yeah. on them for certain food items or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think COVID's been a wonderful little uh, introduction to that. You know, yeah. all of a sudden you go to the supermarket and what you want isn't there. You know, we're not used to that. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, and it's all the, all the early signs have come with the COVID disruption. If you look at what's happened and you start to think about, okay, what if that happened, but it was 10 times as bad? You know, how would we be? What would we need to do? Um, and in the process of all of that, you know, I, I don't want to kind of uh, encourage a prepper um, mentality in the classic sense of that word. Um, what I want to encourage is how do, you, how do we make ourselves more reliable and sustainable uh, at a personal level so that we can then help others, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you know, even through simple things like uh, broadcasting information on podcasts, you're helping people all around the world. Um, and... Uh, because of the the spread of people who are like that conga line I often talk about, you know, like a, the conga where people dance in a line. You've got people who are up the front of the line and people down the back of the line, a whole bunch of people in the middle. So it's up to the folks who are up the front of the line in terms of this change process to realise, okay, here's what we need uh, and then do what we can to support those people who are further back down the line from us and maybe don't have the insights, don't have the, the uh, early opportunities to change and those sorts of things. How can we create systems to help them along through the same process as well. Mm, yeah, that's great. I appreciate the insight about following the path. That's a good reminder that, you know, we don't need to try to <laughs> control and think about uh, exactly what uh, we need to do to react to all this. It's like if you're staying in alignment with your path, that stuff sort of takes care of itself. Um, but exactly. also, I mean, for me personally, you know, as far as the kind of prepper thing, um, I don't resonate with the, you know, the prepper in the traditional sense of the term like you're talking about, but I find myself as as on my sort of journey of transition into a, a layer 6 sort of deal, um have just found myself naturally attracted to things that you're talking about as far as just sort of a realization of shit, I don't know much about the land around me, like what species of plants can I eat? What are the mushrooms I can eat? You know, how do I hunt these animals around here? Um, you know, how how would I set up a permaculture garden? Or, you know, I just find myself myself naturally attracted to um, foraging and hunting and learning about um, the land and feeling more connected and connected to some feeling of security within the environment and the community Um not like I'm dependent upon a pineapple coming from <laughs> halfway around the world, you know, for, yeah. for my lunch. Not that I don't love a pineapple, but you know what I mean? It's just sort of the realization of how fragile and um, disconnected everything is, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we also need to look to new technologies as well. I mean, there's some great stuff coming through at the moment, like um, automated farming setups you know and, and indoor farming vertical farming those sorts of things which can allow us to grow things that might not normally grow in in a particular environment you know 
Um, so, um, it, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's not about um, getting back to basics and, and making sort of uh, furniture out of sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also about using our technology to the, to the best ability, you know, that we can and, uh, and having building things which are, um, are going to help us along the way. Uh, I think another uh, risk that we need to be aware of is the risk of um, increasing cosmic radiation and how that can impact both our well-being and also um, the technologies that we're using. Um, there's a big uh, sunspot uh, facing Earth right at the moment, which if it, if it had a big cough, you know, it could wipe out uh, our electrical systems for a while. So we need to take those things into account. Um, and uh, I believe that all the technologies we need to survive and thrive during the, the times ahead are probably already here right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are probably being suppressed, but um, in good time, you know, they'll become available as well. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you say about farming because it does, I mean, do you see... Um, there's a lot of ideas of technology wise that seem to be so like carbon sucking machines for example uh there are people who are talking about using carbon sucking machines to pull carbon out of the atmosphere to help climate change but then you find certain things like regenerative agriculture where these cover crops and these different principles can actually sequester carbon from the atmosphere into the soil so it's almost like you're trying to create something that can already be um done naturally um yeah yeah, absolutely and you know i i don't uh question the fact that we've damaged our atmosphere with pollution there's no doubt that we've done that but um i don't think carbon is the issue that that a lot of people are saying it is Mm -hmm. uh to be honest um if uh as the grand solar minimum progresses we're going to get an increase of um low level cloud cover on the planet which is going to be one of the key cooling mechanisms mm. uh and uh we may well you know if if there was any sudden uh extremely effective activity to reduce global warming on the planet it may actually work uh counter to our needs in the future i guess that's what i'm trying to say mm. uh, as we go through this right. cool period that's to be approaching yeah yeah that makes sense well i don't want to take up too much more of your time here um but it's great talking to you i mean i'm sure there's plenty more stuff that i would love to talk to you about but um yeah so uh can people expect a a new episode of future sense coming out anytime in the near future um, I've actually been uh, thinking about maybe doing one on, on the globalists, uh, which we sort of covered mm. pretty well. In uh, so, I might have a listen to this and see if whether I need to add anything to what I've said. But uh, I'll certainly put this episode out through the Future Sense channel, uh, probably in two parts, uh, given the length of it, um, as as I've done before when you and I have spoken. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you. I'm going to be traveling over the next few weeks, uh, as I mentioned, up to central Queensland to visit my um, Aboriginal relatives up there and do some plant medicine exploration. Um, So it may well be that uh, this is the the only episode that comes out within the next uh, two to three weeks, and I'll get something out after that, I I expect, yeah. Very cool. Uh, Can I also... Just before I close, can I just uh, give my cousin Rob McDonald a plug for this artwork uh, in the background here? Yes. Um, Rob lives up on the Sunshine Coast here in Australia. He's an amazing artist. Um, You can find him, Robert McDonald, uh, 
artist. I'm sure if you just Google that on the web, you'll find his stuff. It all kind of looks uh, very swirly and and uh, interdimensional and psychedelic like that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, definitely. It's awesome stuff. Um, if you do do the Globalist episode, I, I realized one sort of aspect of it that I am curious about that you don't need to answer right now, but just to p- put it into your mind is the sort of like what how does the graves model uh, give us confidence that we're not going going to descend into some hunger games reality of uh global control and domination and sort of that sort of dystopian future um that's something that's interesting to me so just uh, okay. <laughs> just a little note there. And I and I think I know that I have peers that are wondering the same thing, you know, that we talk about like yeah, we kind of feel like there's this positive sense that things are going to uh, evolve to these these higher layers and that there won't be this sort of dystopian reality, but there's this still some sort of background question of like, is that really what's going to happen or are we just screwed, you know? Um. <laughs> <laughs> just very quickly, there are dystopian realities happening on this planet every day. Um, you know, most of us don't get to see them because we live in comfortable places, but uh, they're out there. Yep. So, so it's not like it's some weird thing that's going to pop up that we haven't experienced before. It's you know, it's uh, it's out there, um, and it, it's true that we need a certain amount of tension in order to drive the change. It's just a matter of how much tension we need, yeah. and whether we can consciously you know, choose the change. Yeah. Yeah. Where the, what you said is a perfect example of there could be small, sustainable layer six and seven communities. Well, simultaneously there is a dystopian, uh, reality existing in parallel with that. Absolutely. It's a matter of, you know, uh, getting to the point where you, you have the capacity to choose which one you want to create. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Steve. Thanks, Jacob. Great to talk to you, mate. Always. Always. Always.